would like you to open your Bibles up this evening, and uh, we've been looking at John chapter 5 tonight, and I'd like you to look at with me uh, chapter 5, verses 24 through 27, which is, um, and again, in the NIV, we, they break this up, and, uh, and it's, it's really not supposed to be broken up. Uh, there's a whole new section in the NIV starting at verse 31, which probably is a little bit of a different section. But um, the conversation begins in verse 16. There's some dialogue between Jesus and the Jews down to verse 18. But by the time you get to verse 19, Jesus is on it. <laughs> and they don't get another word in. And he is, just, he is uh, just spilling out to them the truth of the gospel in its richest form. He, he's just laying it out. Just not only describing uh, the behind-the-scenes motives, the motives of everything that took place while he was in the temple, just you know, in the th- previous fifteen verses, uh, but also you understand it's it's the standard of life for the Christian. Now, this is a little bit of a recap for us. Brand new study tonight for us. It's a little bit of a recap for us, but um, what we've been talking about uh, this week, starting in verses sixteen through twenty-three, it's 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 in continuous flow. Uh, with what we're going to talk about tonight, beginning at verse 24. Uh, Jesus begins talking to the Pharisees about everything that's taking place in his life is a direct result of what's taking place in his father's life. Okay? In other words, what makes the father do what he does makes Jesus do what he does. This is the fundamental. which you understand tells us the things that are taking place in my life have got to be the things that are taking place in God's life. What makes him do what he does has got to make me do what I do. That makes me nervous. How far do you take that? Just, it's me talking, okay? Really not anybody important. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm not even a reverend. I'm just Jeremiah. That's the way I like to be called. So this is you and I talking casual among each other. Does that make you nervous? When you begin to hear me run at the mouth for 45 minutes uh, every evening about the standard of your life uh, is demonstrated in Christ, it makes me want to cry too. It's the way I feel about it. Does that make you nervous? Uh, Am I jumping the gun? (laughs) Am I going overboard? That's what we want to say. Yes, good truth. Until we go and look in the mirror and say, whoa, (laughs) what did I do today? What's the motive behind, you know, the things that are going on in my life? Uh, I tend to dissect the relationship that I have with my wife more. The comments that I make to her. uh, The thoughts that cross my mind. um, Really bothers me. When I was in college, I used to, and don't think I'm a fanatic, but I used to to tie my fingers together. I'd tie these two fingers together. And uh, it was to let me me realize that Jesus was present with me. Okay? That Jesus was constantly with me. Because you wouldn't believe this. I would get up. I would have my devotion like a good little Nazarene. And then I would get up, go to breakfast. And it'd be middle of the day. And I would have forgot his presence with me all day long. There was not a continual communication. And then you hear people talk about, well, that's not really possible. You can't live like that. There's no way. And, well, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, wouldn't it be something if, if every conversation you had was colored with the presence of Jesus? That is the ultimate goal of my life is to be the demonstration of who he is. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Uh, the presence of the Father with him and the intimacy that he's sharing and, and the love that the Father has for the Son and what's taking place in him is going on in Jesus. Now this begins to build, and we didn't get to look at this this week, but by the time you get down to verses uh, 21 through 23, and we did not look at this, 
he begins to talk about life and death. And there's a raising from the death to life. And he talks about an idea of judgment. Those kinds of things. And the point of that passage and what Jesus is trying to talk about here is the message that he's giving. Are you listening to me? The message that is being presented by Jesus is a matter of life and death. Okay? This is serious business for him. I mean, he is intense about this type of thing. Life and death. Uh, I, I watched The Passion and was profoundly influenced. And of course, all the hype is, well, it was a little bit more violent than the Bible. Well, I don't think so. First of all, they cut out parts of the Bible that weren't in the movie. First of all, Jesus was uh, nude. He was naked. He did not have any clothing on. It was a humiliating experience. The part where they rip out his beard by the roots when they're interviewing the Pharisees. See, that's cut out of there. See, there was a lot of things. And you understand, from the Scripture's perspective, this was Satan's hour. See, he believed. He believed he'd won. See, he, this was his time, you understand. Did you think that any of the third of the host of heaven would have missed this? <laughs> you think they wouldn't have been there? See, Satan himself was involved in it. He entered Judas. See, he was there. This was his deal. So it was every bit as, as violent as it was portrayed, but I think it was more so. Uh, they all wanted their shots in on this thing. And when you begin to see Jesus as he's there and, and, and they break out the sticks and they're beating him on his back and he breaks down and then he stands back up, you know, and the Praetorians all laughing at the two guys because Jesus is not broken down and they, they're, they're exhausted, you know. So they go over and get another weapon. And you almost get this picture that Jesus says it's not enough. See, the price of sin is not enough. See, what is, how serious is this? How serious is my attitude? I'm not talking about blatant sin, shaking my fist in God's face, doing my own thing. I'm talking about, see, how serious is it that I, you know, might from time to time live out of my own resource? See, how bad really am I? See, how much of a, how much, how crucial is this matter that he's talking about? Am I making sense to you? See, how crucial is this? See, how, how big is the deal? The way, the way that Jesus is talking about this is that there is nothing good in me at all, you understand? That I have no righteousness. I'm not right at all. I am absolutely wrong in every, in every shade of the word. You understand? So this is a matter of life and death. It is a matter of critical importance for Jesus. And this is the, this is the direction that he's been going. Now by the time you get into our passage, and you understand, I don't know how you read it, but I mean, I can see Jesus as he's speaking and the, and the pain is in his eyes and the veins pop out in his neck and he probably lo- uses his hands like I do, maybe. And he gets up on his toes and see, he's really serious about this. And he comes into verse 23. Well, he leaves verse 23, and then he comes into verse 24, which is our passage. (laughs) And uh, this is what I want to look with you uh, tonight. Let me read it for us. I'm reading out of the NIV. This is how it reads. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Now, you're going to see this at the end, but as we begin to get into the passage here, it seems like the question that Jesus is answering is really the life that he lived, is that really the life that I've been called to live? What's the deal? He wants to answer that question. I really believe that. I mean, in the most mind, am I called the way that Jesus is? The things that he's going to be doing, are they the things that I'm going to be doing? The power that was living in him is the power that's living in me. The same resource that he had is the same resource that I had. The same way the Father looks at him is it the same way he looks at me. See, that's, that's critical of importance in my life 
in my perspective of what it means to be a Christian. Verse 24. He begins talking like this. And there's some neat things that really he begins to address concerning, I believe, the Christian life, but what's going on in his life. Let me say that again. There's some things that he begins to mention here that are critical uh, concerning what's taking place in his life, but what is also critical that it's to be taking place in our life. Okay? I believe that. That's what he says. He says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word, okay, the things that he's saying, whoever hears my word and believes in him or believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He, uh, NIV says, uh, is, translates this phrase, I tell you the truth. Uh, the New King James is verily, verily. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. Verily, verily. I think the, uh, the King James is amen, amen. Is that correct? Probably. Okay, we'll just say it is. Okay, that, in the original language, it's the amen, amen statements. I always wonder what that means. Uh, truly, truly, I say unto you is another, is another version. Um, never really studied that. It took place in John a few times, and I guess I just overlooked it, probably laziness. But um, begin to study that a little bit. And when you go back into the Old Testament, uh, amen, amen, that's the word in the original language, uh, or I tell you the truth, it was always, it always, would always preface a divine proclamation, okay? A divine statement. Back in the Old Testament, when, when someone was going to be accused before the law, they would say, hey man, hey man, and boom, and then you do a serious business, okay? This is all tied into the whole uh, preaching sermons and giving to the law and those kind of things. All, several times throughout the book of Deuteronomy and Numbers, before David proclaimed something that was of the Lord, it was always an amen, it was a divine statement of seriousness. So get this, okay? We know that Jesus is intense. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Jesus is really intense about this. He's been, he's been strong on This is a matter of life and death for him. And he comes to verse 24 and he says, Amen, amen. Yeah, that's exciting, isn't it? See, that's what he says. Really intense stuff. <laughs> really serious about this. Hey, divine statement. Perk your ears up. This is divine statement stuff. In fact, what he's about to say is separating, really, in some, in, in some, uh, uh, in some way, it's separating in, in importance what he's just said. And what he's just said is really important. But he says, amen, amen, I tell you. So it's a really serious statement about what he's getting ready to say. And then he goes on, whoever hears my word. Now, it's, it's whoever hears me is what he's saying. Whoever hears my word. But this word that he uses, hear, whoever hears my word it's very, very significant in the Gospel of John, especially in the last few uh, chapters. Uh, it's, it's, again, it, it just reaffirms everything he's been saying, that the, the presence of the Father with the Son is guaranteed. He stresses that. He says this kind of stuff all the time. Hey, if you, if you hear what I'm saying, don't be surprised that you're hearing the Father, okay? Uh, when you see me, you should recognize me because I look just like my Father. Okay, we're tight, we're one. If you hear what I'm saying, these are the things that he's saying. The Father and Jesus are one. And it's going on in this passage. He says, whoever hears my word but believes him who sent me. In other words, when you hear what I'm saying, you're not really not believing me, you're believing him. Because I'm not the one who's saying it, he's the one who's saying it. In fact, John's very identity in this gospel, as he gives uh, Jesus' identity in this gospel, as John gives it, is the word taken on flesh. So he is the speaking of God. So you want to know what's on God's mind, you look at Jesus. And so Jesus is the amen, amen, very serious. Hey, if everything that I'm saying, and when you believe him who sent me, in other words, the idea is when I say something, it's not me, it's him. And the, and the closeness and the intimacy of the Father involved in Jesus, does that make sense? This is what he's saying here. And he uses this word, the word, okay? He, he doesn't just say, uh, for instance, 
Whoever hears, he doesn't say what I say or hear the things that I've been saying. He doesn't say that. He always says, whoever hears my word. Which is really significant throughout the Gospel of John because it's by his word that things take place. At the end of his Samaritan ministry, and you don't have to turn here, I can just read this to you. It's right here. Um, and because of his word, many more became believers. Because of his word. He comes in the temple, he speaks in chapter 5, and the man stands up. It's his word. And even, at the, even before he gets to the temple in chapter 5, it's he speaks, you understand. His word goes forth, and the Galilean son, who's all the way across uh, the, the land of Galilee, he's healed. And by the time you get down to the end of the gospel, you understand, and they cut this out of the passion. I really wish they wouldn't have done this. When they come in to grab Jesus, there, there's something about the presence of the Father that's with Jesus that when he speaks, you feel it, you know it. It's the very voice of God that's speaking. And you have these people that come in to get Jesus, and they say, uh, Jesus comes out, he says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus, uh, you know, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. Do you remember what happens? They all fall down. <laughs> they all fall down. It's just the power of his speaking and the presence by which he speaks. They say, who are you looking for? Jesus. He says, it's me. And they, whoo, get up. Come on, get up. <laughs> it's the power and the authority that's in his voice, you understand. Now, what's, if, if you want to pray for me, man, I'd, I'd practically pay you for it if I had any money. But if you want to pray for me, pray Acts chapter, pray Acts chapter 6 for me. This is demonstrated in our life. Would you believe me if I told you that your speaking is to be like this? That the profoundness of your words are to be like this? Which is why you're not, have course, not to have coarse joking. Why you're not to swear by heaven and earth. You're supposed to be a man of your word. Uh, Stephen is seized. He's interviewed by the Sanhedrin. They are interrogating him. And uh, he's being opposed by these Jews of Cyrene. And you come down and it says at the end of verse 9 of chapter 6. These men to begin to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? If I could stand up through a group of teenagers. And they could not resist the spirit or the power by which I speak. Oh, Wouldn't it be something if you could go to Kmart. Or if you could go to Kroger. And there would be such an authority and a power and a seasoned presence by, uh, by which you speak. I mean, the common, ordinary, average, everyday uh, uh, settings of your life. And people don't even realize it, but they're coming face to face with the king of the world. In your voice, in your speaking, in their interaction with you. See, that's what's taking place here. The power of his word. Jesus looks at, their, it's, you understand the intensity. This whole passage is colored with that. And it's, it, it's the idea that, see, his words is not by, see, Jesus, the power of his speaking and, and, and all the things that he's doing, it's not attributed to him as an eloquent speaker, a really polished uh, preacher. That, that's not the idea. He keeps alluding to the fact that the Father is with him. Now, this is what he says. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. I wasn't going to share this with you, but I'll share it with you. It's pretty aggressive, okay? There's a word there that he uses as sent. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. There's two words for sent in the original language. Okay? Are you ready for this? Don't be offended. Two words for sent in the original language. One word is apostello, which is where we get our word apostle. The other word is pimpo, which is a really interesting word. Okay? 
I want to talk to you about that word. Don't be offended. <laughs> the word apostello, the word apostello is where we get our word apostle. And it's, it, it is a sending with an authority. And it carries with the idea of one who has great authority who is sending someone with a message. And the awesome thing about apostello is the authority always resides in the message, never in the one being sent. And in fact, it's almost like if the one being sent doesn't make it, that's okay as long as the message makes it. Okay? So the authority is never on the one who's being sent. You understand? It's never on the one, you know, we sometimes look at the apostles as the big ones, but they were really saying, hey, it's not about us. It's the message. That's what they're saying. That's the word apostello. That's not the word here. The word in our passage is pimpo, which I just love that word. When I say pimpo, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Pimpo. It's okay. It's all right. Pimp? Did someone say pimp? Someone says pimp. That carry, that's the idea of this word. Don't be offended. It's the idea of this word. Now, when I say a pimp, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? A prostitute. Carries with the idea of this, a pimp who is in absolute control and has authority over his prostitutes. He's hiding in the shadows of the building. They're out there on the street corner. They can't talk to anybody or the pimp is right there. He's, he's, just, I mean, he's all over controlling over the absolute. He's wherever the prostitute is, you, can't, you ain't going to look far. The pimp is there also. It's a presence type of deal. And when he sends his prostitute out on the street to make money, the pimp is right there with him. Okay? That's the idea of this word. Okay? That's the idea of this word. I know. It's a great sermon. And we're going to get to it. But if that's the idea of this word is that the father is pimpoing, is pimping Jesus. He's pimpoing Jesus. He's sending Jesus. In other words, Jesus says, the father has sent me, but he has not sent me apart from himself. The moment that he sent me, he came along with me. And when you hear my word, you're hearing him speak. (laughs) That'll preach, won't it? That's the idea of this word. And by the time you come down to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, Jesus says, as the father sent me, I pimp you. So we called that sermon Pimp Daddy Jesus, which is biblical. That's very biblical. Very biblical. Very biblical. Don't be offended. But it's the concept that is when God sent, and Jesus tells his disciples this, hey, I'm telling you, hey, I will never leave you nor, or forsake you. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. My presence is with you. Don't ever forget that, you understand. And when I'm sending you, I'm not sending you apart from myself. I'm sending you and I'm right along with you. And all the authority and all the power and all the things that's taking place in your life is not a product of fancy schooling or polished preaching, but it's a direct result of the power of God and the presence of me in your life. See, this up here does not mean too much without him. See, that's the idea. And this is what he's saying. This is how he prefaces all this. And what he's doing is he's comparing See, the only reason Jesus is worth a thing, and that's aggressive, but the only reason ministry is so profound in his life is because of the Father. Every single time this takes place. And he says, the Father has sent me, but the Father's with me. And when I open my mouth, you're hearing him. And if you believe in me, you really don't believe in me, you believe in him, because he's the one who's speaking through me. And this is the power of this statement and the intensity by which he's saying this. He's trying to say to them, hey, you claim that your God is upset at me doing these things in the temple. It's your God that's doing the things in the temple, you understand. You claim that, hey, I'm breaking the law. I am the fulfillment of the law. I am the plan of righteousness revealed. He's saying this to the people. Now, this is what he says in verse 23, which is just a great passage of scripture. And we can't go all the way through it because it's another study. But he says, I tell you uh, the truth. 
Amen, amen, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, has everlasting life, has the quality of life. And by the time you get to 1 John, Jesus is the eternal life, you understand, uh, who has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Now, by the time you move into verse 25, he brings up this issue of time, which is really significant. He says, I tell you the truth, a time is coming. Okay? A time is approaching and has now come. So a time has been approaching, a time is approaching and has now come when the dead, which are those who do not have the life of God inside of them, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, back to his word, hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So there's a time is coming and it is now come when the dead are going to live. And he qualifies, he explains death and life as death without God, life the presence of God. This is how he talks about this. And he says, the time is coming, and folk, it's right here, right now, when the dead, that's us, going to hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This is what he's saying. And time is really, really significant for John. Uh, and again, this, this illustrates to us the kind of life that you and I are to live. Time for Jesus was super, super uh, important. Really very important. And I just want to give you a couple examples of this, and I don't want to get bogged down with this, but we've studied this before. And back in John chapter 2, you have the first reference, and I can just read this to you. We have the first reference to time. Jesus comes to the wedding at Cana. Mom's in charge of some of the details of the wedding. They're running short on wine, and you know how it is, never enough wine at weddings. And so mom grabs Jesus. That was a joke, but you missed it. That's okay. Um, mom grabs Jesus and says, hey, there's this, there's this really critical issue that we need to take care of. Hey, they're out of wine. And Jesus says to her in verse... Uh, well, it would be verse 4, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. There's this really time, significant time issue at this moment has not yet come for him to be involved in this. He says it right there. And by the time you begin to move through the gospel, this begins to happen over and over and over again. Uh, for instance, another example of this time issue uh, is, is seen in terms of the revelation of who he is as the coming king. Chapter 7, we alluded to this this week. Uh, his brothers are, are, are really pressuring him to go up to Jerusalem, saying anyone who wants to be a public figure, well, they don't hang out in Galilee. You go where the places happen. You go to Jerusalem. And Jesus says in verse 8, you go to the feast. I'm not, I'm not yet going up to the feast because for me, the right time or hour has not come. Okay, the time has not yet come. Okay, and then just one more uh, down at the end of this chapter. Uh, Jesus finally shows up to the temple and the things that he says is so aggressive they try to seize him. This is what it says. At this they tried to seize him but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his time had not yet come. And I'll, I'll only give you three of them but this happens over and over and over throughout the Gospel of John and you get this idea that the things that are taking place in Jesus' life are not orchestrated by him. See, he doesn't have like a, a schedule, you would say, that, okay, tomorrow I'll go down here and I really want this to take place here and, and we really should have this done by right here. But he's following the leading of God and there's a timeline and there's an unfolding plan of God before his life and literally his future is secure and it's going to unfold according to the will of God. Does that make sense? And so this time issue is really significant. And he says, you understand what has been proclaimed by the prophets of old who have longed for this hour. A time is coming and has now come when the redemption of man is at hand. It is unfolding before your very eyes. It's a significant hour, you understand. Uh, at the end of his life when he's about to be uh, uh, crucified in John is chapter 13 when the Greeks come. He says, this is the hour. 
the hour is about to be, this is the time that was talked about. The hour has come. So significant. The unfolding of the plan of God. If I could, uh, if my life could only be displayed, or if my life could only be explained by the unfolding of his plan, wouldn't that be phenomenal? That somehow the coincidences and, and those kinds of things in my life that literally would unfold according to the plan of God. That we remain so tight with him that as we walk with him day by day, the hour, the plan of my life begins to unfold according to his plan. That's what he's talking about. That Jesus wasn't going around doing his thing when he wanted to do it, saying the things he wanted to say, having his deal, but literally his life can only be explained by what God is doing. <laughs> Man, I want that. It's going to be something if the only way your life could be explained is by God. How do you explain yourself, young man? Jesus. This is what he's talking about here. It's, it's the significant time and hour. Now you begin to come down to the, to the last few verses, and it's verses 26 and 27, and this is pretty much the end of the study. He says, For as the Father has life in, him, in himself, so he has granted this Son to have life in himself. So in other words, this is a, this is a conquering, uh, and the language here is very, very particular. It is a coming to a head. That the very life, and you understand, this is what God intended for us all along. This was the idea of man, you understand, to be created in the image of God, the image and likeness of God. Now Jesus has come to the point where the life, you understand, the life that is in the Father is the life that's in the Son. Okay? It's not kind of like similar it's not like almost there type of thing. But the life that's taking place in, in, in God is the life that's taking place in Jesus. They are defined the same. Okay? The Father is granted for the Son to have life in himself. And then he says a profound statement. And he has given him authority to judge. Okay? Because he's the Son of Man. The idea of judge there is not that Jesus is going to stand up in this type of judge. At least, there might be evidence of that in the scriptures. But the idea of judge here uh, really leans to the idea of Jesus is the standard. He's the judge, the ruler, you understand? He's going to be the standard by which we are all measured. Type. He's the judge type of deal. And over and over throughout this gospel, Jesus says stuff like, hey, I don't judge. There is a judge. So Jesus is the judge. And he's the judge... Not because, now notice the changes in terms on the way Jesus is talked about. He's not the judge because he's the son of God. He's the judge because he's the son of man. Okay? It speaks volumes to us. The reason Jesus succeeded was not because he was the son of God. The reason Jesus succeeded was because he was one of us. The reason Jesus was able to live the life that he lived was not because he was all-powerful, roaring God underneath the skin. The reason he lived the life he was able to live, this is right here in front of us, the reason he lived the life he was able to live is because he was a son of man. He was one of us, you understand. He did not have any power that you and I do not have. So the things that was going on in his life was not the product of Jesus, it was the product of his father. Paul talks about how he emptied himself of all but love, which is who he is. Became an absolute man. I wrestled with that. God has many qualities. Some of the more uh, familiar to us are the omni qualities. We've probably heard of those. One of them uh, would be omnipresent. Another one would be omniscient. A last one would be omnipotent. Okay? Uh, om omnipresent. Uh, is the all 
everywhere at the same time presence of God. Now we understand that when Jesus came, he dropped that. However you want to talk about that theologically, he laid it aside or he put it, you know, didn't use it, whatever. He just didn't have it with him. Jesus was not everywhere at the same time. He didn't tell his disciples, hey, I'm heading to Galilee and I'm already there. <laughs> didn't say that, okay? He was not everywhere at the same time. We agree on that, you're right? He was not omnipresent. He was stuck just as you and I are, one place now to one place one time. Now, he was also not omniscient. He was not all-knowing. Okay? This we have a little bit more difficult with, difficulty with because we say, well, hold on. See, because we compare. We say, okay, we're called to live the life that Jesus, is li- Jesus lived. But hold on. Jesus was really smart. <laughs> you know? It's not hard to know everything when you're God. I mean, come on, you know. It's not hard to know the right things to do when you created everything. Come on, hello, not that hard. But see, what if Jesus wasn't omniscient? I mean, what if he was really, really man? Hey, he wasn't born in sin, but that's a relational issue, you understand. But what if Jesus didn't have any ability that you and I don't have? What if he was limited in every way that you and I are limited? What if, we well, you know he wasn't omnipresent. What if he wasn't omniscient? What if he didn't know anything? See, if you can search back and find one thing that Jesus didn't know, that would mean he's not all-knowing. Disciples come up to him and they say, hey, when are you coming back? What does Jesus say? Beats me. (laughs) He says, no one knows, only. So I would have said, aha, you don't know everything. (laughs) Didn't know everything. Was not omnipresent. In fact, by the time you get to John chapter 7, is it hard to buy? By the time you get to John chapter 7, he begins to go in and teach, you understand. He begins to go in and teach. And they say this, not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? And Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own, it comes from the one who sent me. It's not my stuff. See, as I steal all my material from the scriptures, Jesus stole all of it from God. Okay? He says, it's not my brains that I'm operating on, you understand? Again, it's, it's the concrete presence of God with Jesus. You cannot talk about Jesus apart from God. Wouldn't it be something if that was so with our lives? See, in the same breath, oh man, same breath, you talk about Jesus, you're talking about the Father. This is it. So any bit of knowledge that he has is not the product of him being God. In other words, Jesus didn't come as a man and then have a little pocket of God right over here that he could dip into to wow the crowds. That wasn't the idea. He was absolutely dependent upon the Father. And you say, well, how did he know all the things that he knew? God. Well, how did he know all that stuff? the father because he was man as you and i were man okay wasn't omnipotent uh impotent uh, (laughs) he wasn't uh omnipresent got them all mixed up together there in one he wasn't omnipresent he was not uh uh, omniscient and he wasn't omnipotent he wasn't all powerful and again he begins to talk about this and i don't want to overload you with uh scriptures but philip back in john chapter 14 begins to question jesus uh, Jesus says to him, and again, it's over the same issue of the Father being present with Jesus. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus is offended. He says in verse 9, don't you know me, Philip? Don't you know me? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. Then he says this. 
Believe me when I say to you that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Now, why does he say believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves? Well, he's a man. They saw him sleep. They know that he's a man. They, they probably saw him get a sore throat. He probably stubbed his toe from time to time. His, his back probably hurt. Can you imagine sleeping on the ground for 33 years? He had to have a little bit of a backache once in a while. See, they've seen him. And he says, if you don't believe the Father's in me and I'm in the Father, believe on what you're seeing because I could never do that stuff. At the product of my life is not strengthened. It's the product of the Father. And then he goes on and says, by the way, all the things that I'm going to be doing, you're going to be doing. In fact, you're going to do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Because the same power that's at work in me is going to be at work in you. And it's the same message over and over and over again. That the call that was upon the life of Jesus is the call that is upon our life. And the weight and the authority and the mission and the focus of Jesus is the weight and the authority and the mission that is to be upon his church. I cannot tell you to the degree that I believe that. And I have hope. Because if Jesus can make it, I can make it. And Jesus did not make it because he was the almighty second member of the Trinity, which he was. He was a second member of the Trinity who came down and became an absolute total man, limited as you and I are limited. And he lived a life, not because he was God, but because he was a man filled with God. We believe that. That's the core of holiness. That you and I can be the people that God has called us to be because of him living inside of us. That breaks down almost, almost. Because I'm still growing and I'm still searching and I'm still wrestling. And hey, I'm a baby compared to most of you and you've been at this for so, so much longer than I have. But I, I really, really believe this. That I can be the person he's called me to be. And, and the statements that are made were without excuse are true. I wonder, just, just really wondering, uh, if we've learned to just cope with things, accept things. In my family, for instance, we have certain people that go to church and, and we're religious and those kind of things. And God's been doing neat things in our family. But, uh, and I won't, and again, this is not picking on and I'm not oppressing or talking bad about none of those kind of things. But I, <laughs> I oftentimes wondered about a certain lady in our family. And I talked to uh, my mom about it. We were talking about it. And uh, my mom's like, I don't know why she acts like that. And it slipped out of my mouth. I said, that's just the way she is. It's not biblical. You don't have to be like that. I mean, do we really believe that? Why is Jesus just such a pain in the neck in the morning? Well, that's just the way he is. That's just the way he is. You know, he's not a morning person. <laughs> Come on. Is that, is that a valid excuse in my life? Well, when I'm really stressed, I do. I just yell at Corinda, my wife. Yeah, it makes me feel better. Just tell him. Just tell him. See, I, and for me, that's the big stuff. See, the big stuff, the things that we consider big stuff are like big stuff, big sins or drugs and alcohol. But see, the big stuff is the way we treat our wife in public at the grocery store. See, that's the big stuff, you understand. So that's how Jesus teaches. I mean, that's how Jesus treats his wife. Never knew. So that's what Jesus looks like when you cut him off in traffic. Well, I I know it's him. He's got a little ichthus right there in his window. I see him right there. See, what excuses do I make in my life? 
I, I, I begin to wonder if there's a point where he can bring me in. Folks, hey, don't, don't be deceived. I don't have this all together. Follow me around. Watch me. Uh, I'm growing, but I don't have this mastered. And I'm just sharing the truth. But God wants to bring us to a place it, it is possible. God wants to bring us into a level of intimacy with him where we cannot be told apart from him. That in the midst of every breath, that when we talk about Tony Fightmaster, we talk about Jesus. Talk about Pastor DeMont, we talk about Jesus. You just get around, you ever get, you ever get around people that is just, wow. You get around them and it's like, oh, boy, I needed that. <laughs> I just needed to be around that kind of person. I want to live that way in my life. Not that that's mastered, but are you pursuing to that end? Uh, from my perspective, and I didn't create sermons for this week, just happened to be where I was at in the Word. Uh, are you pursuing to that end in your life? This is a holiness revival, a holiness meeting. Do we really want that in our life? Are we satisfied with, I show up to church, I'm a good person, I double tithe? <laughs> Are we satisfied with that? Or is there a deep hunger in our lives that says, I do, not want to be, I do not want to be identified. I do not want to be recognized. I, I, I don't want to be any different than him. That I want us to be so like-minded. I want to be so tight with him. I want to live the standard of life that Jesus set, which was not super Christianity. It was the common, ordinary, everyday Christianity type of stuff. He was not super Christian. See, Jesus wasn't up here and I'm down here. See, he was the standard. He was the first among many type of stuff. He was an average Joe, average Jesus, most common name in his day. He was an average Jesus, filled with the presence of God. And all the things taking place in his life were not the product of him being this, but it was the product of him being a man, a man that had weaknesses, a man that when he was nailed to a cross died because he was one of us. Uh, you burning like that this evening? Have you been wrestling with things that have been going on in your life this week? I want to respond. Father, we love you this, this evening. What an opportunity we, we have had this week. Uh, it dawned on me today as we begin to watch the news and I begin to see other countries and, I mean, my, my, the United States. What a people. Interesting. The opportunity that I have to worship the God that I want to in the manner that I want to. It's pretty overwhelming. What an opportunity you have given us this week. Could it be that you want United States, not because we're spiritually superior, in fact, probably, uh, we, that brings several issues, but perhaps the United States is to be the evangelistic capital of the world because we are able to be the evangelistic capital of the world. And Jesus, I do not want to use my freedom to be casual. I don't want to use my freedom to burn after basketball, to get excited after football more than I get excited about you. I mean, if I really believe, if I really believe what I'm reading and I can't cop out of it, I can't push it aside, I can't not deal with it, how come I don't view my world the way you do? How can I get more excited about Sunday afternoon than Sunday morning being stretched and grown? How can I live by a neighbor for 40 years of my life and they not know Jesus and I'd be okay with that? How can I live in a family, Jesus, where I go home tonight and I sit there before a family 
and watch a grandpa who is struggling with his life. And how can I be okay with those who do not know you there? How can that not bother me? I'm not a bad person. I'm just so twisted. I'm just so distracted. And there's nothing I can do in my life to change that. I cannot discipline myself. I cannot reach in and flip a switch on in Jeremiah because there is no switch. I cannot be improved. This is who I am. Which is why I desperately need you, Jesus, to change inside of me what needs to be changed until we're a spitting image of each other. It's no wonder you fell in love with David and called him your friend and was so tight with him because he said, man, I want your heart created. I mean, I want your eyes. I want to see as you do. I want to walk with you. Can we really be the skin of Jesus in our world? Can we really live the life that he lived? Can I be redemptive? Am I the only Jesus that some people are ever going to see? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. In my opinion, I'm an itinerant evangelist. But you are the real evangelist. And there is no evangelistic program that is ever going to be able to replace Jesus living through you in your world. Period. The first century church did not have an evangelistic program. They were nuts for Jesus. They burned for Jesus like they burned for nothing else. And they won their world in a little over 70 years. It's not hard to know that I love basketball. Is it hard to know that I love Jesus? It's not hard to know that I, I love sports. Is it, is it hard to know that I love Jesus? When people get around me, do they get around Him? See, holiness goes beyond the other issues in our life of religious activities, which are not bad, but they come back to the very heart and motive of our life and settling for a mediocrity Christianity. They settle for, I'm not a bad person, my good outweighs my bad. In the name of Jesus, I will never settle for that. Because that's not what Jesus settled for. Whatever we want to call that, that's not Christianity. Have we grown so callous where we miss that? What really drives Jeremiah Bullock? Could it be that's what fasting is about? I mean, when Jeremiah gets hungry, he's really hungry. But maybe fasting food is that, Jesus, I could begin to burn for you in this area of my life, my spiritual life, like I burn after food. Could you make me as hungry after you like I'm hungry after food? Wouldn't it be something if we ran after our world like we ran after the comforts of our society? If we ran after our world like we ran after our sex drive? If we ran after our world like we ran after money? What would take place? The question that can only be asked, is that just good preaching or is that solid truth that we have to deal with on a daily basis? I believe it's truth. I want to give you the opportunity to respond tonight. Tonight's a wonderful time to respond because it doesn't, really rather, it doesn't really matter where you're at in your spiritual walk, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, and whatever. It's the response that says, I'm coming to the altar because Jesus, I want my grandkids to know, oh man, that there is nothing going on in grandma and grandpa's life like you. And I am as, I am as hungry oh, as the day I was saved. Are you still burning like that? Are you still seeking? Are you still hungry? Are you still running at the pace that you once ran? 
That's my biggest trouble. I get so distracted. Help us, Jesus. We love you this evening. Um, I, I thank you for the opportunity, Father, for being here and, and orchestrating this. I cannot believe that it was by chance or by politics or knowing the right people that there are men of God in charge of this, the leadership in this area of the country, Father, that are listening close to your voice. And, and by chance this year, Jesus, you have brought us together. Father, we, we thank you and we praise you. What an opportunity we have to serve you. Desperately, we desperately want to be the men and women that you've called us to be. The biggest deterrent to that in my life is me. The biggest, I blame stuff on the enemy. The devil made me do it. The devil, all this stuff, and I blame it on him, Lord. But the biggest problem in my life is Jeremiah Bullock. If you could bring me to the end of myself, that I could no longer rely on my brains or my personality, or my talents, or my gifts, or abilities, wants, desires, needs. That I could be an unmarred channel, demonstration of who you are to our world. Father, bring us back. Bring us a holiness revival. Grab whatever generation you have to grab a hold of. Do whatever you have to do in our lives. Strip us down. Remove us of our, of our, of our comfortableness, of our, of our luxuries of our pleasantries, just whatever it takes in our life to bring us back to the point where we are absolutely mad hungry for you. That's what we want, Jesus. We ask these things in your name.